Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Marjorie, I got to take a deep breath before today's conversation. (laughs) You're lucky if you can even catch your breath. No kidding. No kidding. It's funny that we're going to talk about this because we're talking about taking a deep breath um, and discussing a time when I thought I couldn't get a breath in. And... The more that I've talked about what happened to me last summer when I was pregnant on my birthday, Marjorie, of all days. Oh, gosh. Um, the more that I've kind of opened up and started talking to people about this, the more I thought, boy, we've got to have this conversation on best to the nest because I am not alone. And that I think is the most healing thing when you go through something difficult when you find out that you aren't the only one who's gone through it, then you can start to work towards really true healing and how to not have it happen again. Right. And we're talking about panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it, it, we both went through it. And I think what's important for people to learn about it is what it actually feels like. Right. I couldn't believe the first time I had one that I was actually having one. And it was, I was about 40, I think I was 48 or 49. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband and I were going through a difficult time because he was having lots of pretty serious health issues. Right. And which was going to require some pretty substantial changes in our life, just as our children were going off to college. I mean, it was like everything was folding in on me. Yeah. And I couldn't, I I literally couldn't catch my breath and my heart was hurting. Yeah. So I immediately went to, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. I'm having a heart attack. I need to go to, the, and, and so I went to the doctor. I went to the cardiologist. I got completely tested. And here's the weird part, Elizabeth. When they looked at me and said, everything's good. I think you're having a panic attacks. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 no. You don't know me. I don't have panic attacks. I'm not a panic attack person. Look at me. No. I am like buttoned up. Look at me. Just look at me. And then the yelling part really gives them an indication as to why you're having a panic attack. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. They weren't looking at me like I look at myself. They're not looking at me like, oh, lady, you got this all figured out. They're looking at me like, you need to get... You need to you need to figure this out. Mm-hmm. We're cardiologists. We can't help you with this, but this is what we think is happening. So it's pretty frightening. And I know your experience was equally as frightening. They, you know, it it was a very scary thing. And I want to even bring in our guest today before I share what happened, um, because I think she's going to be able to help us all sort of figure out 
what leads to these, what happens. And, um, and, you know, Marjorie and I have both experienced these, but we're certainly not experts in panic attacks. And that's why I'm so happy that we have Dr. Bobby Wegner back with us on Best to the Nest. You know, she's been with us several times on the podcast. She's our most frequent guest. We adore yes. her. She's an official BTTN contributor. We pay her nothing and it feels really great. <laughs> To get to have her, Dr. Wagner, we love you. Um, but Dr. Bobby Wagner is a clinical psychologist. She's a lecturer at Harvard, and she is the co-founder of Groups, G-R-O-O-P-S, which is a mental wellness platform that's bringing people together to talk about their shared concerns with the help of a facilitator. She's got a book coming out in June called Raising Feminist Boys. You Yay. know we're going to be talking about that on the podcast with her. And then she writes and speaks on a national platform. We love Love and trust Dr. Bobby Wegner. And so getting to have her here to talk about this is so helpful. Bobby, nice to have you on Best to the Nest. Well, thanks for having me. And, you know, first and foremost, just I know this is a particularly private, um, you know, concern and matter for you. So I just really appreciate you inviting me in to have the conversation alongside you. We need you. We need an yes, expert, we, Marjorie, don't we? Yes, we do. We always need. We have determined we are experts at nothing, at but nothing. we can find the experts. I, I, That's feel, what we I feel the same. <laughs> All right. So here's what happened. Um, this was last summer, and uh, and so I'm talking about the summer of 2020. It was my 39th birthday, okay, and that which was July 27th, 2020. I was, um, gosh, eight months, seven months pregnant, seven mm. months pregnant at the time, Um. If you'll recall, you were in a global pandemic. It was going on then. It's still going on now. It had been uh, really wearing on everybody. But I think particularly because I was pregnant, um, there was a lot of extra worry and stress that was going on. I also have talked about this on the podcast before. I live in Minneapolis and I live in an area of Minneapolis that was heavily, heavily impacted by the civil unrest last summer. And... um there was a lot of stress happening, to say the least. I mean, there were multiple days in that time when I had to pack up my kids and leave our house and leave my husband behind. Um, and even now when I talk about that, I get very emotional because it was just a lot. And I like deep breathe through it to talk about it. So on um, on my birthday, things were actually going quite well. And um, we had a really lovely morning. I had like a nice kind of open morning that day and I was working from home just as I, you know, continue to do. I, uh, had taken a walk with the dog. Um, the kids were at their childcare and everything felt really good. And, um, and then I, I was coming home and I was getting ready to go into the station for the show. And my husband was working from home too. And I said, Hey Jay, do you want to run around the corner with me? Walk around the corner and get a coffee, get an iced coffee. Like that's a fun birthday treat, right? Aren't we all agreeing? You can't have a cocktail in the middle of the day because I was pregnant <laughs> and it was the middle of the day. Let's go get a coffee. So we went around the corner and we saw um, that our coffee shop around the corner from our house had been broken into again, that there were broken windows at the shops right around our house and um, the window was shattered and we went in and just kind of talked to the barista as we ordered. And I just said, gosh, I'm so sorry that this happened again. And she was like, yeah, it's just it's the fourth time. And it's just really getting tiring. And so, you know, we ordered our coffees. I didn't feel particularly overwhelmed in that moment. I just felt like kind of sad. But still, I was having a really nice day. Uh, kissed Jay goodbye, got in my car, drove to the station, sat 
down to do the show and start at the beginning of the show. And we went to a taped piece. And as the taped piece was airing, I felt this pain and pressure in my heart like I had never felt in my life before. And Marjorie, as you described feeling like you were having a heart attack, that is exactly what I thought was happening. It's really scary. It's really scary. It was terrifying. I was breathing and I could only get in like a shallow breath before um, I would just feel such intense pain. And, um, and then I actually left the show. I had to leave the show. This is the first time in my entire career. I mean, I've never even like thrown up and gotten sick. I've had a coughing fit. That's like as intense as it's gotten. Glad and to I know was, you haven't thrown up. Good I, to know. Yeah. And I was thinking, I can't believe this is happening to me. I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know what's happening. I met Jay at home. We ended up going to the emergency room and they did the same thing that you talked about. Marjorie went through all these tests and then said, um, you know, I think it, was a panic attack. And then I don't know if you felt like this, Marjorie, I felt like a real jerk because I had like inconvenienced all of these people, all of my coworkers, my husband, my parents who came to pick up my other children and, and take care of them and all of the people at the hospital. And I was like, what is happening here? Well, well, the weirdest part about that, Elizabeth, is What's our alternative is for them to say, yes, you are having a cardiac event, but you almost want to be like, I'm sorry, I waste your time. Please tell me it's a cardiac event. I mean, how warped is that, that you want to be there for what you think was going on? I think, I think I was just embarrassed, you know, sort of the same way. It's like, oh, because, but I think that speaks to how we minimize a panic attack. Mm -hmm. Like this shouldn't be happening or this isn't something. It is something. It's major. So, Bobby, this now that I've shared that, and this is the first time I've shared that with you. I mean, I gave you kind of the cliff notes. I was like, I had a panic attack. Here's what happened. Do you want to come on the podcast and talk about it? <laughs> and um, so when you hear that story, what are the first things that are coming to mind as an actual mental health medical professional? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I just, you know, feel sad that you've gone through this. And, you know, I really appreciate talking about it is really a very important step. And I think most importantly, or very importantly, is that it's super common and it's super normal. So when you run through your story, the way you describe it is like word for word what many, many people say. So saying things like, it came out of the blue. I thought I was having a heart attack. A lot of people say they think they're dying. Those are like Mm -hmm. the three things as psychologists. I'm like, it's probably a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And then people always go to the ER. They think they're having a, uh, they think they're dying or having a cardiac event. And then the only way they, the symptoms are very much the same, but the way they differentiate a heart attack from a panic attack, I'm not MD, but what I understand is that they look for like necrotic tissue to see if there's actually heart damage, but the presenting symptoms are like basically the same thing. Wow. And you're not, so people leave feeling kind of embarrassed and ashamed, like, oh, like, you know, I'm putting people out or like, what's wrong with me? And it's like, well, the symptoms are very much the same. So of course you think you're having a heart attack, you know? Um, and... <laughs> Well, the hardest the hardest part about it for me is as I get older, my grandmother died of a massive heart attack at 70. And so you think, and now I'm pretty good. I don't, I've, I've been getting them again recently and I got them, you know, I'll get them and I can identify the stressors usually. And so if I'm really under a lot of stress and those symptoms come back in my own mind, I think, okay, it's a panic attack. But I still, it's still so bothersome to me that something in me 
is unable to deal with whatever stress I'm under. Yeah. And that that's my body's, now it seemingly is a, it's not a go-to response, but it's happening enough over the years that I think, why can't I, what am I doing wrong that I can't cope quite? Because it seems like such an extreme reaction for my body. And it's the shortness of breath, to be honest, that I, I never get used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but so you say it's common. What is it that we're doing wrong or we could do better that this doesn't have to happen to us? Yeah, I think what you're doing wrong is really kind of judging yourself for it, actually. Okay. <laughs> Bobby, you're the best person. (laughs) There are different reasons, there are different factors that contribute to panic attacks, right? So we look at the way I look at things from a health psychology perspective, which is people working with kind of preventative health and wellness stuff, and then also medical conditions. We look at biological factors, psychological factors, and social factors. And so for you, I don't know, Marjorie, we don't need to get into your medical history, you know, with all these listeners, but I would be asking myself, like, who else in my family has a history of different mental health things like um, panic and anxiety and, um, and depression, right? right? And that will make you biologically more wired or predisposed to have anxiety. So you can do everything else perfectly and you still could have anxiety and, you know. And then the what happens with anxiety is what we think is very connected to how we feel, right? Mm-hmm. So thinking for you, Elizabeth, you went to the coffee shop, the social factors were like your city's on fire and totally, you know, sad and scary. And you walk in and your thoughts probably, it sounds like you said, you said something like again or yeah. something like that. Mm. And then I imagine the feeling is like sadness, uh, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But the narrative of the words we actually think consciously and subconsciously are directly tied to how we feel, right? So, you know, exploring the the relationship between the thought and then the response is really important and anxiety and panic. And some of the control we have over this is by, like, understanding those thoughts and then changing them. So Hmm. I'm not sure what work you've done to – but there's a little triad. So it's like what you think affects what you feel. You can't will your way out of emotion. Emotion is. It just is what it is. Oh, I've been trying for 57 years to will my way out of emotion. <laughs> the next 57 years, do not will your way out of emotion. Change the thoughts. And that, so it's thoughts affect your behaviors. Uh, thoughts affect your emotion. Your emotion drives your behavior. And that behavior either reinforces the, the thought oh, yeah. or, or offers an alternative. Oh. So, so the, the emotional piece is untouchable. We feel the way we feel. Yeah. We, can, we can explore and do something differently with our thoughts and with our behaviors. Those are the only two levers we have to push on. Okay. Oh my God. I That's love that. Incredible. Now, when you said, I'm not sure how much work you've done on this. So it turns out I've done no work on this because I then had a baby and then <laughs> did, went back to work and then did all this stuff. And then I started feeling like, um, I feel like I want to rage or cry more than I think I should. And so then I booked a therapist and I have weekly sessions starting next week. So I'm really anticipating that I'm going to become a much healthier um, and vibrant version of myself starting next week. So just look forward to that <laughs> on the podcast. It's going to be something. Um, but, it's going to be amazing, Elizabeth. But yeah, it turned out, you know, when I mentioned to my new therapist that this had happened to me, she said – yeah, it is important to work through this. Sort of like what you're saying, Bobby, like there's something going on 
that we need, like that we can work through to get to a space where you feel safe, like this isn't going to happen. And essentially, I, I mean, what it sounded like to me is like my, my body, it was like an involuntary reaction because that's where the out of the blue part gets really tricky for me because I then now have this feeling like Marjorie, I'm sure you have this feeling that, okay, so if stress is building up and then out of the blue, this can happen. It's very alarming because it didn't feel, it wasn't in the middle of everything going terrible. It was just a few, it was a few weeks later when there was one little trigger that in that moment I felt okay, but then clearly my body took over and started just, it felt like, like a short circuit. So, so I think, you know, I'm thinking Elizabeth, as we're talking, I think understanding what drives panic anxiety on a biological level might be helpful for like people listening a little bit. I don't have to go into like the whole neuropsychology of it, but I think what, what a panic attack is, is your fight or flight response, right? So say you walk into the woods and you see a lion, we are hardwired to protect ourselves. So you either, we make a a subconscious decision. Am I going to fight? Am I going to flee? Or am I going to freeze? What? ends up happening in our brain. We have this little part of our brain in the back called amygdala. And that's the, where that like alarm goes off. So that amygdala gets fired. Your frontal lobes up here, which is higher level cognitive functioning, get suppressed. And you're just in basic operating mode. I got to like, run or I got to fight. And a panic attack is that. But instead of responding to a lion, you're responding to a thought that you're not mm-hmm. conscious of. And so this is where it gets really like kind of psychology E. Wow. So we are constantly, our survival is based on constantly scanning our environment. Most of it happens subconsciously or unconsciously because we're trying to conserve our energy, right? Just think about uh, our bodies and our minds or systems. We want to minimize energy so we're not tuned in to everything we're seeing and doing, but our yeah. body is always evaluating. So you walked into that coffee shop. There was some, some evaluation you made on a probably, I imagine, more subconscious level that tripped your amygdala, which tripped a, which is a panic attack. But the more you do your work and, you know, when you become the, you know, your, the next version of yourself, it's you're going to be amazing. <laughs> you're going to start to notice, you're going to start to bring the subconscious to a more conscious level. So what is you're going to notice your like state of arousal, right? Like how stressed are you? How relaxed are you? And are you leaning left? Are you learning right? What are your own cues you need to start to like pay attention to? And then, you know, what are you going to do when you notice being like a little bit more elevated? So it'll become a lot of this is just learning to read yourself in a different way. But when you do that, it's like, oh, okay, I can deal this. You know, you can kind of like curb it before it happens. What you're saying is so, I think, incredibly important, particularly in what Elizabeth and I are trying to do on Best to the Nest. Because I think that it is something that took much of my 40s and still in my 50s of trying to understand my own calibration. Yeah. You know, and and that's a really, what you're saying, I think is so important for people to hear is that we can take ourselves apart in that way. Yeah. Like, I think we're not taught to do that. I, I, I know that I only began to do that when I started having the panic attacks is when I went to, I went deeply into therapy Mm -hmm. um, because not only was I having panic attacks, but my stress was oozing out in all sorts of unhealthy directions. You know, that could be rage. It could be anger. It could be whatever. It was just 
not, I wasn't dealing with it. And the panic attack was just the most sort of violent sign of that to my, to myself is that you're not dealing with all of the fear and all that was going on in that period. And so I did go into therapy with a wonderful therapist in St. Paul for, I think about 18 months. And he really helped me understand some of the things that you're talking about. But it was sort of stunning to me that, I mean, I was 48 or 49, that I didn't really know how to be in control of my own mental self in that way. And I think that's harder to do than people realize. And I think you said something else, which was very much myself in my 20s and 30s, which is I can will anything away. I got this. I got this. And I didn't. And I think that's what's so important about what you're saying is that we are in control of ourselves if we learn how to recognize those signs. I think that's just amazing. Yeah, there are a few things that strike me, Marjorie. Like one is like the control piece, right? So we we all want this. I, this we all want to believe we're in control, right? right. Just feel safe. And um, particularly safe. Marjorie. I just want to just <laughs> add that. Marjorie. <laughs> I, she speaks truth. She speaks truth. I won't deny it. <laughs> um, but what I'm thinking is that the, the real control is when you actually start to learn to give up a little control. And what and what I mean by that is that having emotion is fundamentally human, right? right. So it's not about changing the emotion. It's about writing the emotion. So say you're feeling more anxious or feeling more depressed or whatever is happening, you feel more scared. You do what you can to like have self-awareness to take care of yourself. But like working with a lot of clients, it's like, how do you help them ride the wave? The thing with anxiety yes. and like, this is to repress the only constants change, right? That's like, just like a basic principle, but that applies to emotion too. So even when you're at the tallest peak of anxiety, if you know, if you just ride it out, like ride the wave, it will come down. But you have right. to have faith that it's gonna, you're going to get through it and then it's going to come down. And that little arc or that curve is part of what anxiety is. So you have to almost like, the more you try to resist it, the worse it is. You have to be like, oh, oh, it's here. How can I take care of myself in this moment? Trusting, you kind of have to give into it, like give into the moment and then like let it ride out in a private space or whatever feels comfortable for you. Okay, so am I understanding this right that then like the the panic attack is essentially the that buildup of anxiety, that anxiety and that stress that was just up up like going 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 and then that moment that that subconscious scan where I went into that fight or flight, something triggered it and you might know it but you might not know it. In that case I didn't realize the severity of it. And then it was like within an hour my body started just it was like alarm bells, alarm bells, alarm bells. And then so, it's you. And then you're yes. like, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. I'm dying. Yes. So yeah. that's just like this secondary thing. They're like, oh God, this is like really bad. This, this is really bad. And I'm pregnant and I'm, and it's a pandemic. And now I have to go to the ER and this feels very, very bad. Yeah. And so okay. all those narratives you're telling yourself is just dialing up the anxiety more and more and more and more. Yeah. Then you walked in and you're like, oh, I feel sad. I feel anxious. I noticed my, so the, the fight or flight response is the amygdala has a, it's this, um, so there's a series of physical things that are associated with the firing of the amygdala or the fight or flight response. Increased muscle tension. Your blood flow goes to your important body parts, like your heart, your lungs, your brain. Um, your, your hands get cool. 
um, you start sweating, all mm-hmm. the benefits, but those are all hardwired fight or flight response that get triggered. And that's what we interpret as stress, anxiety, but it's not zero or one. We fluctuate over the spectrum throughout the day, right? So like a panic attack is the peak of it or the pinnacle, but that we can, you know, start at zero or one or three, or, and we can go up to seven or eight and then a panic's at 10. So part of this is starting to understand your body a little bit more and then also, um, what I, when I work with clients, it's like, how do you stay ahead of the game yeah. and bring down that baseline arousal? Yes. So living in a stress level of six, you're living in a stress level of two when you can. So when you do peak, you go from a two to a seven, not a six to a 20, you know? Yeah. And the 20, like 20 is not good. And mindfulness and understanding your thoughts and paying attention to your body in a different way. So there are different things you look at to kind of know where. So it's, so it's really about, you know, first it starts with self-reflection, looking at your body and your thoughts and your mind and all that in your life. And then self-awareness. What am I going to do about it? What right. skills do I have and what am I going to change? And I think that's really, that's, that's key too. And I think in my stubborn controlling nature of my younger years, <laughs> um, it was that idea of, I, I, Yes, this happened. This is even before panic attacks, you know, if it was because I really didn't have one till my late 40s, but certainly not recognizing my emotions and having outbursts, whether at my husband, um, it rarely happened with the kids because I was able to sort of bundle it differently. But Elizabeth knows this, that my youngest son, who was three, when he was three, he said, Mom, I just wish you could have just a little less of a temper. And boy, that'll wake you up to, okay, I can do this differently. And, and it never left me. And I was able to, you know, this is part of that control thing is that I was able to like compartmentalize my stress. So for the most part, it wouldn't come out at them, but then it's going to go somewhere. As my husband says, it's going to squish out sideways. Yeah. And he was always standing to my side. (laughs) So (laughs) normally it would go his direction, but but it's that idea, and I just love that you, you, you talk about that, is that idea of self-reflection. I just think that idea of permission for self-reflection, that you, you are, if you're listening to this and you feel stressed, and it doesn't have to be, you know, please don't get to the place where Elizabeth and I got, where you yeah. have that kind of panic attack. If you feel out of control, I love what you're saying, Bobby, to everybody, like, that's the moment. Look at look at yourself. Look at what's happening. Take the time to self reflect. Go to therapy because you don't want it to get to that level twenty or whatever that is because that's not a fun place to be. Because you've been, you know, Elizabeth and I can attest to it. We were working up to that. Yeah, that listen, I and I would rather spend the money on therapy than on the ER bill. I can tell you that right now because that <laughs> sounds like a lot more fun. And apparently, you're going to pay one way or the other. Yeah. I, is is therapy then? You know, because I, one thing that was a little bit different is I was very clear. I knew I was under a lot of stress. I mean, yeah. there wasn't, that was not like a subconscious thing of like, oh, I think for a lot of my life, I do tend to run at a higher level of, of stress and just like movement and, um, you run hot, darling. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a high functioning stress person. I don't, I'm not saying that as a point of pride. I don't think that's probably great. I think sometimes then that can lead to me not really realizing, uh, like getting out of touch with what my body needs and what it's doing. At this point though, I mean, I was very well aware of all the things that were going on 
around me. That didn't mean that I could change anything. I mean, I couldn't change a pandemic. I couldn't change the fact that I was pregnant until I had the baby. And I certainly couldn't change all of the violence and the stress that was going on in my neighborhood. So Bobby, I wonder how, then how do I manage that? How do people like me manage that on a daily basis? If you can recognize the stressors, but there's really not that much you can do to change the external stressors in that moment. So you can't change the the social, the environmental piece, but you can change the way you're thinking about it. So okay. this is very nuanced, right? So when someone comes in and, and we're working on this together, one of the first things I have them do is starting to keep a log. So like, so like when you can Google this, I can send you links. Like I have plenty of stuff that I'm happy to share and you're welcome to share with the people listening to you too. But it's like, okay, I'm noticing a, the, the thing that people usually notice is a physical symptom. Like I, my heart's feeling weird or I'm sweating or I'm stressed. So then I say, okay, like what's the time you look for patterns? What's the time, what day, what time, what's happening? What are you thinking in the moment as specific as you can? How bad is it? Is this a 10 or a four? And then what are you doing? Are you drinking a bottle of wine in response? Are you going for a walk? What's your coping? So we're looking at your thoughts, your emotions, your behaviors. Mm-hmm. And the thought piece of it is like you want, you can change your thoughts very subtly. So to use your um, coffee shop example, I don't know what you're actually thinking in that moment, but I imagine there's a part of you, maybe, or hypothesizing that you felt scared, you felt vulnerable, you yeah. felt out of control, mm-hmm. you felt like... I have kids, I have this baby I'm supposed to take care of, like, you know, and you felt unsafe fundamentally. Absolutely. That's, those are yeah. 100% accurate descriptions of all the things I was feeling. So then if you were someone I was working with, I'd say, okay, stop for a second. What evidence do you have you're actually unsafe in that moment? So like really break down what evidence you have. Like is someone going to, what's your fear? here? Like let's get to the root of it. Like what is the fear? And let's yeah. talk about it. And I would say, okay, you know, that's having that feeling is valid, but what you're thinking about being vulnerable right in that moment might not be the most, the, the, the words they use that are like rational or irrational. That sounds very pejorative. I don't mean it to be, but that's like the language of this. But it's like, okay, this is the thought you're thinking is not evidence-based in that moment. So how can we honor the feeling you're having by replacing the thought that's actually rational and evidence-based? Like I feel scared and I feel vulnerable but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're unsafe in the moment, you know? So it's like, so then yeah, it's great though. And we all have these thoughts. So the way I think about thoughts, they're, they're neural pathways. And the more you go down them, it becomes a path of least resistance. So yeah. when we're growing up, we go down those paths automatically without conscious awareness. But what you're going to be doing with your future therapist, Elizabeth, is being like, okay, pause. What is that thought? How can I just twist it a little bit so it still feels real to me? But it's like not going to create a panic attack, and then you're trying to like literally lay a new neural pathway, a new that a thought path, and practice doing it. So then that becomes your path of least resistance. That you're automatically go to that thought rather than the the automatic thoughts that are creating panic and anxiety. Okay. And just just think about as you as you talk about that, Bobby. As parents, yeah, if we're modeling that behavior. Yeah. Of sort of taking apart our own thoughts, self-calming, believing what we're doing. I mean, it's not magical thinking, really going and, 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 and articulating to ourselves. Yes, I'm afraid. This is why I'm afraid. Do I need to be afraid? Just taking those moments to model that. And I did not, but to model that kind of behavior for your children 
what a gift you will give them in how to cope. And I think, you know, I grew up in, you know, a generation which I think people still grow up the same way that I did, which is kind of get over it. Just get over it. By the bootstraps, like, yeah, just be stronger. I mean, being strong is such a a big word for me and sort of, I'm not even going to say that that's something my parents said to me, but being independent and strong was just sort of expected, Mm -hmm. which, and I don't remember talking about the things that I was afraid of as a kid. And I was afraid of tons of things. I think parenting has definitely shifted. I mean, I, you know, Bobby, you're a professional, so you, you treat your children probably better than most of us, but for me, (laughs) (laughs) I do welcome over Elizabeth. (laughs) I do. um, We do a lot of work on like the feelings are valid. Yeah. You know, however you feel is okay. You can feel (laughs) however you feel. It's, I mean, when you were talking about like the emotions and then the thoughts and then the behavior, I thought a lot about my kids and what, what I am teaching them is that whatever they feel is okay. It's just how we manifest that. How do we express that? That has to be done in certain ways that keep everybody safe, right? I mean, you well, can't be... All, all feelings are valid. All behaviors are not. Yes. Oh. Like, oh, you can feel all you feel, but like there's still expectations and guardrails here. Exactly. Know? Yeah, exactly. So I do, th- I think, you know, because I, I was raised the same way. I mean, you just got to buck up and you got to go and you got to just keep on moving. And, and that's just the way that it is. And if you feel a certain way, then we figure it out. But now, um, you know, I think we're more in touch with that, which I hope will end up paying off dividends as our, as our children get a little bit older. Um, but I think those things that you learn as a child, I mean, that impacts you for the rest of your life. I mean, is, do you think therapy is essential to working through this? Because, and I know you're working on making, making that conversation and having facilitators and talking about mental health more accessible to people. Cause I just sort of go, I mean, Marjorie, I'm so glad that you were able to go to 18 months of therapy. I am doing weekly, I'm going to be doing weekly sessions with that, this therapist. I know that is not financially or time accessible for like 95% of people. I mean, it is really challenging. And so I wonder about like, you know, the single mom who's got kids who finds herself feeling like I've got a heart attack and I don't have $150 an hour to spend on a therapist. What do we do here? Yeah, you know, Elizabeth, I'm really glad you raised this, and this is really what we're um, focused and driven to change because mental health is a normal part of modern health, of always health, right? It's like this is how we're wired, but our culture has not created a place that really supports that and helps people get, like, just normative needs met around this, right? So if you were able to have probably dealt with this a little bit beforehand, it wouldn't have escalated to a panic attack and you wouldn't have to pay your therapist 150 bucks an hour, right? But there's a way and what we're doing at groups is really trying to stay, we're focusing on mental wellness. So we're taking almost like the gym model and we're flipping it and making like a health club for the head. So you can go to a management anxiety class, you click in, you do, you know, it'd be someone like me who teaches you exactly what we're talking about. This is what stress and anxiety is. Yeah. How are you, and then would ask you two questions. How are you noticing it in your life? How's it coming up for you? What are you thinking in this moment? What are you feeling? What are you doing about it? We do another exercise, all under 60 minutes, and then you go on with your day, right? But we're trying to do like a pre- preventative mental wellness model. Um, I love this. Help this thing. So we just have a splash page now, but it's joingroups.com with a double O. Um, 
and we hope to be launching and we'll want, you know, to have people very soon in June. So if any of your listeners are reading, um, listening, just reach out to me and we're happy to give you a couple sessions free and um, figure this out. It's so good. And it's such a good point because essentially like we're subscribing to all of our streaming services and our Peloton and our, you know, I mean, all this, think about all the stuff that gets auto billed on the Amex. I mean, it's just all of a sudden you're like, what's happening here? And if you can have that kind of auto in your life, that part of your life is that mental wellness and that education and that mental health, you can hopefully get to a point where well, you can just manage things. Yeah. It's Bobby has mental wellness. And so it's very much like you go for a jog so you don't like become 400 pounds and have a heart attack. Right. It's the same idea. Right. Trying to like stay tuned. You can do anxiety. You can do parenting. You can do relationship. And also for the price point, like going to a therapist for 150 bucks a week, that's not affordable for like anyone really. Doesn't matter. It's not affordable it. for me. I'm, I am figuring out how to do it. Yeah. I'm a therapist and I, get charged a pay, a, a, it's not affordable for me either so this is you know 49.99 a month for unlimited groups <gasps> you can click in and you subscribe and then you can just do what you want to do depending on um you know what what really speaks to you in your like life stage or where yeah. you are bobby is there a possibility that for someone that that could be covered by their insurance or are we not there yet? Well, we're not. So this is not therapy. We have to be very clear. We're, we're, right. we're not therapy. We're not trained clinicians. Um, we're teaching people in really good facilitation skills. So we have experts in mental wellness in, in their the content and then right. in the group dynamics. So this isn't me teaching you about stress and anxiety. This is a good facilitator using the power of the group to share and learn from each other and then have an expert there who knows enough to kind of you know, add a little of the current research or the current thinking or just to make sure we're staying on track. So maybe that the, the short answer is maybe Marjorie, but not right now. Right. Right. I, I do think that's key though. And, and just to the, to the price point, you know, I did go for 18 months, but a lot of that was month to month mm-hmm. because yeah. of the price. It wasn't, you know, 18 yeah. months every week. Oh yeah. If I could have, I adored my therapist. I would have gone every week because <laughs> I, yeah. I always felt it's hard. I mean, if you haven't been to therapy, it can be really hard. I mean, you have to go back before you can go forward. And it's the yeah. back part that tends to be really hard for people. Yeah. But, you know, once you get through that and if you find a great therapist, it is, it can be life changing. And it certainly was for me. But what you're talking about, Bobby, is just such an important thing to, for people to be able to maybe afford the time and the facilitation to self-reflect. And to just what, get out some of that emotion and yeah. that we're that we're just holding in and to kind of normalize talking yeah. about things. Because it yeah. is kind of I mean, it took me almost a year to get to a point to talk about this on this podcast, which is very rare for me. You know, yeah, that I mean surprises me. Why? It, yeah. I it just took a long time. I was so emotional about it. It was like I just didn't know I honestly I didn't know if I'd be able to even get through it without just crying the whole time. Yeah. Because I just felt so bad. Yeah. I mean, it was the worst I've ever felt. And, um, you know, and there's just like weight of what that did to Heathcliff, my baby. You know, I worried about how that impacted him. I was pregnant. I know stress is like a big thing. And, um, and so there was just so much about it that was so hard. And, 
and when you when you mention that to people, I, I think the word panic attack is like thrown out around a lot too. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm gonna have a panic attack. I do the same thing. It's not like I don't use it in a casual setting. Um, and then when you really have one, you're like, man, and you're right, Bobby, there's just like that shame factor of, it sounds so ridiculous to be ashamed that I didn't have a heart attack. <laughs> what a dumb thing to say. Yeah. It sounds so dumb when I say it out loud, but that's how I felt. I felt <laughs> ashamed like that yeah. my heart wasn't in a full out cardiac arrest situation. Yeah. So Elizabeth, I just appreciate you sharing your story because you know, just like you felt, people don't know that this is way more common, as common as it is. Yeah. And, and kind of what we're doing at groups is really, it's like this concept of like the shared human experience, right? Mm-hmm. We get shame around talking about this stuff, but you going first and putting your story out there is going to allow someone listening to really connect and to, and to get some help or to, you're, you're helping someone stay ahead of the game for themselves right now just by, just by doing what you're doing. So I just really appreciate that. I hope so. But it, but it's all about the shared human experience. Like yeah. what you feel, I feel at some level, you know? And that's such a good point, Bobby, that, I mean, you know, therapy is so important and what you do is so important, but, but that shared human experience, if we can just start there and, and what you're doing with groups is so helpful that if we can just start there, we can at least make some progress. I want to ask you to, um, before we go, because we always do this with Bobby, our podcast goes so long with her because we love her so much. Um, do <laughs> if, like that stress level thing really resonated with me that if you're running at a six all the time, yeah, or you're running it at eight, then when things spike, you're you're above ten, and that's not good. What are like a few things that we can yeah. kind of do on a daily basis to start to just say, okay, I just I gotta I just want to take one point off my baseline. <laughs> So it's really good. So we call it baseline arousal, right? It's like, that sounds... It sounds sexier than it is. <laughs> yeah, it sounds... That sounds fun. That sounds fun. <laughs> fun as it sounds. <laughs> but it's really about like, you think about your anxiety or stress as a dial, and it goes up and down throughout the day, right? The way you can bring it down is by doing sort of short mindfulness meditation things. So it's like we're teaching this at groups, like understanding your thoughts to un- and then understanding, like noticing your physical sim- like presentation, but even using apps. So what we didn't talk about, which is really helpful, and Elizabeth and maybe you, Marjorie, want to check out. So biofeedback can actually measure that fight or flight response in an indirect way mm-hmm. with things called like heart rate variability, different things. Long story short is I can send you some apps you can actually practice and you can look at your stress response, go up and down depending on how you change oh. your breath and how you change your thoughts. So, uh, so in our office, we practice this. I have like fancy equipment and I can look at different markers of your stress response. You don't need all that. You can use your, um, your Apple watch to look at, um, Oh, I love this. But you can, if you spend even 10 minutes a day changing your breath and just sitting there and then it's just like exercise. It's muscle memory and your body will more easily dive or dip down into a relaxed state. Um, and you can measure it and track it over time. So 10 minutes of like sitting and breathing a day is hugely important. Yeah. And the important part of this is not doing it when you have a panic attack. It's right. staying part of it in the morning, often for people or sometime if you're sitting at your desk for a few minutes using headspace or calm, those are good apps too. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people need the structure of the guy, you know, of, um, walking through a meditation. It's really hard to do alone if you're not comfortable or have done it before. 
But I can send you some links if that's helpful. Yeah, that would be so helpful. I would love that. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And then do you think if you're in a panic attack, mm-hmm. is going to the ER what you need to do in that moment? I mean, I if mean, you never, know it's ha- if you've never had one? If you never had one, I would just rule out cardiac stuff. Yeah. But more often than not, you'll start to know. And then if you just start to – and you don't try to change it. So once you're in like the peak of a panic attack – it's almost impossible. It's like holding a floodgate, right? Yeah. It's yeah. coming. So you just take yourself out of wherever you are, go somewhere private, remind yourself that you're safe. You're okay. This too will pass. And like, think of it as like riding a gigantic wave and you got to give into it. You just got to like kind of succumb to it until it goes away. But you have to trust the more you give in, the faster it will pass, which is completely paradoxical. Right. But, but, but Bobby, I will attest to that. That's exactly right. I mean, when I'm in the midst of one, I just, I sort of take myself out of myself. Yeah. And I visualize myself at a beach or I, I mean, it, it sounds sort of cliche, but I just have to slow everything down. But I kind of like thinking of it the way that you talk about, it, and I think that's going to help me quite a bit too, is that idea of you just need to ride that wave mm-hmm. and just sort of let it, let it be what it's going to be and and get through it. Because the minute I start to focus on the fact that I can't breathe, it only heightens it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes it even more frightening. I know what it is now. I can identify it. So I don't go to the emergency room every time. But, um, you know, twice was enough with that one. So um, I can identify it now. But you're you're exactly right. Is if you if you've had it before and you know that it's it's coming or you're in the midst of it, you're if you fight it, it, it is only that much more frightening. Well, listen, I, um, Bobby, thank you so much for having this conversation and Marjorie, thank you for sharing so much. And I really hope that this, um, you know, this is a safe space for us and we really value our listeners who offer feedback and listen. And I know, um, I'm, I hope that this conversation opens you up to having those conversations with the people that you love and that you know, and that you trust so that you cannot feel so alone in those moments too. And, um, and join groups, join groups.com. That's what it is. G R O O P S. And Bobby, we love everything that you're doing. And, um, thank you for being part of our little best to the nest team. Oh, well, thank you for having me. And thank you to you both for really sharing and inviting me. I love always talking. We could talk forever. So she's our team doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. We have a review, Elizabeth. What do we got? From Minnesota Mama 86 she says, love this podcast. I've been listening to this podcast for over a year now and can't believe it's taken me this long to leave a review. I just love it and I look forward to it on my drive to work every Tuesday and Thursday. I never miss an episode. Thank you for putting together such great topics and keeping things on track and on topic for each episode. I'm a working mom in my mid-30s with a five-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old and your podcast has definitely had a positive impact on on my life. Thank you. And Bobby, again, this is thanks to you for sharing your knowledge with us. That's great stuff. We love it. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest or go to besttothenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home.
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.